Um, if we are the products of the seed of Abraham, then we are born again, restored to his image and likeness. If God is in essence anything, he is a giver. For God so loved the world, he gave. God is love. It's, it's all over the universe. You can see that when God established the universe, and certainly when he established the earth, his universal pattern is that the future is invested in giving. God creates a seed, and that seed gives itself. Remember, Jesus in John 12 said, except a corn of wheat seed fall to the ground, it abides alone. We don't want to abide alone. We want to bring forth much fruit. And he says, so that if it falls to the ground, it opens up, it gives its life and much fruit. So in every seed is a future. If I hold the seed of a tree, I'm not holding a tree in my hand. I'm holding a forest. And God did not make an assembly line in heaven where he cranks out humans every time he needs new people, babies in the earth, a new, um, a new, um, you know what, Channel 24, that's an input from the uh, Mac, forgot to tell you guys I was messing around back there. We don't want to hear the, I think that's a signal I'm supposed to go back and kiss my wife, for those of you that have been. <laughs> All right, so um, back to the serious stuff. The, uh, the fact is that the entire universe works like that, is that, that, uh, that the Lord only made one Adam, one man, and divided it into male and female, said, give yourselves to each other, and guess what? Here comes the future. And that's the way it works. And so we were born to give. In fact, everything about us is designed for giving. When you realize that God fashioned, he spun your soul around certain gifts. That is, at the heart of your soul, that is the essence of what and who you are. And you've been trying to be that person all your life, even before you saved. Your gift inside of you has tried to speak to you. Of course, under the heavy influence of sin, we don't understand that gift of God within us. But when we're born again, God awakens that inner man. He, we realize, begin to realize who we are, and he adds his anointing, and he adds certain giftings to our life. But we are, in essence, formed in our mother's womb to be the person that he wants us to be. And it's so futile um, to go through life trying to be somebody else. Because the happiest you're ever going to be is when you not only realize who God's called you to be, you start developing your life around the gift that he's put within you to glorify him and to, and to walk in obedience to him. That's when you begin to realize who you are and you begin to become happy. So that's kind of the theme we've been following. And this morning's message, live forward. Everyone say, live forward. That's the direction in life. That's why we have two eyes here and not one eye in the front and one in the back. We have two hands that reach this way and legs. I mean, we can all back up, but we're more effective moving forward than we are backing up. And so our main scripture for this series has been Proverbs 18 and 16, which says a person's gift makes room for him and leads him before important people. So in life, your gift makes room for you. And then Paul writes to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. And continuing on, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, 
love, and a sound mind. We always take that second verse that talks about God giving us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind out of the context. But left in the context in which Paul wrote it, Paul's actually talking about the gift of God in your life. And so can I say to you this morning like this, and can you hear it? God has sent his spirit into your life to furnish you with power, love, and self-discipline that you need to stir up and develop his gift in you with. So God has given you the power, the love, and the self-discipline to develop the gift that he's put within you. And maybe this will help make more sense. If you are, have been lacking in God's power, his love, and his self-discipline, maybe what you need to do is begin to stir up the gift that God has put in your life, and you'll see the power, love, and sound mind begin to come up and address the assignment that power, love, and sound mind was given to you. The assignment the Holy Spirit gave to power, love, and a sound mind in you was to help you be confident, be disciplined, and have the power to be the gift that God has called you to be. So I'm really believing that many of us are not going to tap, unfortunately, in our lifetime, the level of God's power, his anointing, and the self-confidence and the discipline, uh, the fullness of his working in our life because we're not going to embrace the gift of God in us. We're going to spend our life trying to be somebody else or live up to somebody else's expectations and uh, carrying around a burden of, of unhappiness about who we are or our station in life. And so we want to try to attack those concepts head on and try to awaken each and every one that hears this message to the fact that not only has God given you a gift, but he has created you to be a gift. Made in the image of likeness, in, uh, uh, in likeness of God, you've been called to be the Lord's gift extended to the world. And I know you can, I know you can believe that. So the real you is hidden in your gifts. And when you begin to develop those, you'll discover the real you. The real you will begin to emerge, and guess what? Life will make room for you. It's the way things are. The watering and the sunlight begins to work on the plant once the gift has been given and the seed's broken open and the growth will come. That's why Jesus said, by the way, in Acts chapter 20, it was quoted that Jesus said, it's more blessed to be a giver than to be a receiver. We always read that as it's written, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I think Jesus is trying to say to us, if you really want to be blessed, enormously blessed in life, truly blessed as God considers blessing, then live as a giver and not always as a receiver. Why? Because your entire walk with Jesus is based on your gift. Your walk with the Lord is built around your gift. The Lord is always going to be standing in your heart next to the gift that he put in you, wanting to commune with you around that gift. And you know the old game where you blindfold somebody and say, you're getting warm, you're getting warm, oh, now you're getting cold, you're walking away, now you're, you know, and the person eventually, you're boiling, you're boiling, you've got it, 
you found it, and they get to take the blindfold off and found what it is that they were looking for. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit's saying, you're getting cold, no, no, cold, cold, turn around. Oh, you're getting warm, you're getting warmer. The Lord is standing by his gifts in your life. And that's where he wants to commune with you. That's where he wants to show you who you are. Jesus came into your life to, to reveal you to you. Um, that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that when we look into the word of God, the perfect law of liberty, we see reflected back as you look at your image in the word of God, you see reflected back the glory of the Lord. And as you see it, you are being transformed into that glory. So Terry is not going to look in the mirror, God forbid, and see my reflection. And Helen shouldn't be looking in the mirror for Kathy. She should be looking for Helen. And each and every one of you. And you might say, I'm sick of seeing me. I don't like me. But wait till you see you the gift of God. Wait till you see the you who, and you know, um, I th I'm sure you can relate to this. There are people even sitting in this congregation this morning who don't realize how much we appreciate them. They don't love themselves as much as we love them, and they don't know how wonderful they are, but we do. We see the gift in them but that they don't see. And I just wish and pray that they would see the gift in their life and how happy they would be and really how much more effective and fruitful. You can't move forward in life running away from yourself. Amen? Amen. So that's kind of what this message is about. Well, last week I brought into this message the theme of leadership because the day that you begin to develop the gift of God in your life is the day that you begin to become a leader. God has called, just as he created Adam to be a leader, all of the seed of Adam are literally created to be leaders, to rule, to reign, to have dominion. And so when you begin to realize that you're to live as a giver, you will begin to become a leader in life. That's what he meant in Proverbs when he said, your gift will make room for you. You will begin to rise up and be a leader. In fact, as I said last week, if you have any responsibility in life whatsoever, you have an opportunity to be a leader. Every time you address any kind of responsibility, relationship, participation in a group, responsibility for a project, anything like that, you have an opportunity to employ the principles of leadership and to be a leader, and that's, that's God's will. So I want to continue with the idea of, of leadership in this message, living forward. And what I'm going to do beginning this week is each week I'd like to take a different, I don't want to call them themes, it, but they are themes, elements or themes of what makes you a leader. What will make you a leader? And as I go through these, if you lay hold of them and apply them to your life and the Lord really shows you how to do these things, it will help you to become the leader God's called you to be. And so the first one that I want to share with you this morning is that a leader is a person who embraces their purpose. The word purpose is the first principle in leadership that you want to get hold of. And um, I would say that the first step that you take in discovering your purpose as a leader is destination. 
Everyone say destination. destination. Now, I don't have my phone up here, but most everybody ha have learned how wonderful it is to be able to pop an address into Google and, and have Siri or somebody pop up and say, you have arrived at your destination. Where are we going? You put that address in there, and the, and the machine will talk to you and tell you how to turn and how to get there. So the very first step in you discovering your purpose as a leader is destination. Where are we going? Where are you going? In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, Jesus gave, in my opinion, one of the greatest parables of the kingdom of God. It's a really simple little one, one to two sentence description, and it goes like this. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. That's it. That's the parable. That was Jesus' way of describing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's as if a man were walking and he finds a treasure, digs it up, he's so excited, he doesn't grab it and run away with it. He reburies it in the field. For some reason, the treasure's connected to the field. For some reason, he can't take the treasure out of the field. For some reason, maybe he found oil. Maybe he found traces of gold or something. He realized, if I want the gold, I've got to buy the field. If I want the oil, I've got to buy the field. So he quickly, you know, kicks the turf back over it, runs away, gets a hold of a realtor, sells his house, liquidates everything. Everything goes and buys the field. I love that. That is Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. So leadership begins with destination. When the Bible says in Colossians, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God, he's talking about relocating. If you're now a citizen through rebirth, of the kingdom of heaven, you are seated now in heavenly places. So seek the things that are above, where your life is hid with Christ and God. It's a verse about relocation. So leadership begins with relocating your home base. Too many Christians in this life think the world is their home. Do you think the world is your home? Is the world your home? Now we all say, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We even sing a little song about it. We used to, years ago, we used to sing a song about it. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And we'd sing it just like that. It's like a little ditty. But we leave church, and we live as though the world absolutely is our home. We, heaven is abstract to us. We don't have a strong connection with the Lord. We don't understand the kingdom of God. It seems mystical to us. And the principles of the kingdom of God are only occasionally put to work in our life. 
If you are going to be a leader, if you're going to develop the gift of God within you, the very first thing you do is you have to figure out where home is. Because wherever home is, that's where you're leading people. A leader leads people home. Let me say it again. A leader leads people home. The gift that God put in you was not to make you a rock star, but to make you a follower of Jesus so that other people could follow you home to heaven. Now, relocating means when you find Jesus, you realize that he comes in a kingdom. And you can't yank him out of that kingdom. You have to buy the field. When you begin to discover the gift of God within your life, you can't take it out and become a famous painter, a rock star, a millionaire businessman, or uh, a, a highly sought-after, beautiful woman that everybody is jealous of, and whatever it is that people do with the gifting that God has put in their life. That gift was planted in a field for a reason. The king comes with a kingdom, and his gifts are part of that kingdom. And so when we discover the gift of God within our life, we buy the field, which means you buy into the kingdom. You relocate. We sell all to follow Jesus. Didn't Jesus say? All those disciples that followed him, they sold out, and they followed Jesus for three and a half years. If you were a businessman when you got saved, or you just had a job or responsible for a family, and you started reading Matthew 16, 24, take up your cross, follow me, and forsake your life, I think one of the first things that would come across your mind is, I don't know if I could have done what Peter and John, what did they do? They just left their nets and their, told their dad, I'm, on, I'm leaving, I'm going to go follow this guy, we found the Messiah. Um, that would be one of the first things we would concern ourselves with. There's that tearing, that tug. But that's the first thing that, that you need to do in pursuing the gift of God in your life is that gift makes you responsible to heaven. That gift makes you accountable to God. Can you say praise the Lord? So all godly leaders begin with separation from their worldly environment. It's one of the reasons why Christians don't discover the gift of God in their life as they're too busy trying to identify with their environment or trying to fit in or trying to be accepted in the environment of the world around them. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's where all the acceptance, if you want arms wrapped around you, if you want to be loved, maybe no one else will understand your kooky self. But the Lord will understand and love you and if you let him wrap his arms around you, by the time he's done molding and working on you, maybe other people will find an ability to get along with you too and knock some of that kookiness out of you and uh, make you appealing. Hallelujah. But if you think about all the stories of the Bible, beginning with Abraham, Moses, David, um, all of the disciples, Saul of Tarsus, Every one of those guys, when, the Lord, when, when God began to reveal his gift in them to them, they all had to leave home. Joseph, they all left home. Some of them left unwillingly. Some of them went not knowing where they were going. Many of them left in an air of irresponsibility. 
I know that when I got saved and God began to call me into ministry, I left my home. Now, I was raised in a secular home, and nobody in my house understood anything about the Bible or Jesus. We never read the Bible. I had never, before I got saved, if you can believe this, I'd never opened a Bible in my whole, not once. I didn't even, I never did that one time in my whole life. So I didn't know a Bible verse, didn't know who Jesus was before I got saved. So my family, we were very, you know, just existentialist, uh, um, secular, agnostic, atheist. And um, I got saved, and, and like so many Christians when they're first saved, probably could have been locked up for the first six months till I cooled down. But, but that's the way you are, you know. And my mother came home from lunch one day, and I, I had been living away from home before I got saved, and I briefly, for a brief period of time, moved back home, went back to school, started working, day job, going to school at night. And um, so she comes home from work one afternoon, and there's these strange guys hanging around in the house. Nick, where are you? Oh, I'm here. Who are these guys? They were Jesus freaks. <laughs> they were my new friends. And... Uh, I had come out of the room with a bag. And when I say bag, I didn't have no luggage. I had a bag. I had some kind of canvas sack that I put you know, my clothes in, grabbed a guitar, and where are you going? I'm following Jesus. You're what? I'm moving. They had a, they had a ministry down in St. Petersburg called the Father's House. and. Uh, so I was, I'm moving to the father's house. The what? Where is the father? I, I couldn't explain. I said, look, um, I'm, I'm, you know, Jesus is Lord of my life, and, and I'm going to follow him. She said, well, what about your job? Why aren't you at work? I said, I called him and told him I'm not coming. She said, well, you got school. You got classes. I not anymore. I mean, I just unplugged from everything. I just left. I just got up and walked out. I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. So my mom said, I need to talk to my son. She took me outside and I, she got in my face, which was, you know, I'm 6'2 and change. My mom's 5'3, a little Italian lady, but she could get in your face, and I would swear that she was looking down on me when she would do it. I don't know how she did that, but she would do that. And um, she said, she said, you need to snap out of this. She said, you, you need to snap out of this. She said, what? You are throwing your life away. Now, you know, I was young. I was quite young. She said, you're throwing your life away. She said, uh, God has given you a wonderful brain. All your report cards confirmed it, you know, when you were in school. So you, you, you're throwing away a great mind. And I, as God is my witness, I looked at my mother and I said, I don't need my mind. I'm being led by the Spirit. <laughs> I really hadn't learned the Bible yet, so I was just speaking extemporaneously from my heart. And so I said, Mom, I don't need my mind. The Holy Spirit is leading me. And the last words my mother spoke to me were she said, you know, when you were on drugs and running around and getting in fights and everything, I understood that. 
I understood that. I thought, yeah, I did. I bet you did, because the first time I got high on pot, I stole it from my mother. <laughs> so, so Mama understood all that stuff. She understood the world. She was a worldly woman. So don't expect people to understand you when you relocate your home base. I relocated my home base. I knew where I was going. But um, I, I didn't do it in a very intelligent way or a very, uh, I did it in what they would like to call today a radical way. Um, so, you know, back in those days, we didn't run around saying we were radical. We just lived radical. We, we didn't write songs about it and, uh, you know, we didn't have Facebook where we could, you know, show pictures of how radical for Jesus we are. We just did it and got persecuted for it. So, and I don't know why I threw that out there, but get that out. So, the point is that um, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him, as he gives him the mandate for Christianity, he said, I press on to possess that for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. I've not yet achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. That's the mandate for Christianity. The very first thing you must do if you want to lay hold of your purpose through your gifting, if you're wanting to know who am I in Christ, what gifts has God put in me, you have to live with a purpose, and you have to be a Christian who seeks that purpose. And it begins with relocating your home from earthly to heavenly identity. Because Christianity is not a is a, is a guide. I should I I don't mean to say Christianity is not. Christianity is a guide for pilgrims. It's not an almanac for settlers. It's it's not therapy for coping. It's a map for moving forward, and that is how we discover our purpose: is to relocate our home in Christ. Let me quickly wrap up and share with you the second principle of uh, discovering your purpose as a leader through your gifting in life. The second step in discovering your purpose as a leader is to begin to, uh, how can I say it, begin to think of your life as a stewardship. Leaders live their lives as careers. Their life is a career. See your life as a stewardship that you owe your life and an explanation for your life to somebody. All leaders live like that. They have that sense of stewardship. The world doesn't flow to them. They are going somewhere. They see a mountain and they're going to that mountain. You can follow them if you want to, but they're going there. All leaders have that sense of accountability and as a Christian, you should understand your accountability to God for the gift that he has put in your life. Therefore, you live your life as a steward of that gift. I think one of my favorite sayings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Or I like to say it like this. 
I am what I am by the grace of God. I am that person that grace is making. Listen, he goes on to say, I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul is saying, as, as God called me and showed me that there was a gift in my life, and I owed my life to him, and on the, uh, on the dirt ground of the Damascus Road, my mind quickly, because Paul was a sharp guy, began to realize when I said, Lord, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus, who you've been persecuting. I began to quickly put it together that I've always seen myself as a gifted person, a kind of a leader, if you will, but I have been heading in the absolute wrong direction <laughs> because the Jesus that I've been persecuting me had been persecuting, just introduced me to himself. And right then and there, he's starting to relocate. He's starting to do the about face and turn around. I'm, I'm going to have to redirect this gift. <clears throat> At that moment, Paul begins to realize he is accountable to Jesus for the gift. I think Jesus, if he'd had a conversation with Paul on the Damascus Road, he'd say, what have you been doing with that gift I put in your life? You're using that to persecute me. Whatever you're doing to my people, you're doing to me. What are you doing with that gift I put in your life? Can you imagine? I once played with a bass player. Phenomenal, Albert. Great bass player. Played with the Isley Brothers. Played with Aretha Franklin's band. Was a terrific, funky bass player back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, he tells a story about how he got saved. He was up on stage playing a gig somewhere, and I think he said he was playing in New York. This was up in the Northeast. In the middle of the show, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, what are you doing? I have called you. He rolled the volume off his bass, unplugged, and walked off in the middle of the song and never walked back. Can you imagine? What, where are you going? The song's not done. The gig's not done. That was it. He, he walked off and never looked back. Yeah, pretty cool. I wish people got saved like that today, don't you? I would just love to see that. Instead, you know, well, never mind. So the, po the point is, I'm not waste time on the commentaries. But Paul says... I am accountable for the gift that God has put in my life. I'm the man that grace is, is creating me to be, remodeling me and making me to be. So in order to think as a leader, you must think, if God put gifting in me, I'm accountable to him to be who I am. If my soul is designed around a gift that he's put in my life, then, like the old song, I have to be me. I was hoping I'd get one or two people pop up and sing a line or two of that song, but at any rate, you get the idea. I'm accountable to the Lord to be who I am according to the gift that God has put in my life. I owe that to the Lord.
You see, you're an original. You're not a copy. I know that some of you have been going through life thinking that you're a copy, trying to find... Sometimes when we go looking for mentors, we're trying to find somebody that we can fashion ourselves after, somebody whose shoes we can step into and be that person. And there are people that live like a chameleon. They're, for whatever reason, they're not happy with themselves. And so who are you this week? <laughs> um, so you are an original. And the Lord wants to show you you, who you are, according to the gift that he's put in your life. So could I say to you in kind of my closing thought that to become the leader that God wants you to be, you have to become yourself. To become a leader, you must become yourself. You must become that woman or that man that God first had in mind when he formed you in your mother's womb. Life has pushed you off course. You got saved. You've been involved in church and religion, in some cases, has had an influence over you. And sometimes, in, sometimes it's been the church or other Christians have pushed you off course. But the Lord is faithful. And he's always there trying to redirect and pull you back into who you are. To be the woman, to be the man that God wants you to be, embrace the gift, become a leader, become yourself, the true self that God has created you to be. That's the first step, the first step you take in realizing and fulfilling the potential of the seed that God has put in your life. You know, with this I'm, I'm truly closing. Um, <laughs> We get saved and we think, well, now I'm going to become the man or the woman God wants me to be. But if you ever look at how God's dealing with you, you never really turn into somebody else. You just turn into a cleaned up version of yourself. You ever notice how that works? I mean, some of you I've known for a long time. I've known the Duns since the uh, 70s and, and uh, Jean, a number of you I've known for at least a good 20 years or more. And, um, yeah, you're pretty much who you were back then, you know. Uh, now, don't get discouraged. <laughs> you haven't been using your minds. <laughs> yes, that's right. See, you get saved and you just put that mind on a shelf. You just don't bother using it anymore. Close your Bible or turn off your iPad or whatever you're using. Let's, let's stand together. This is 